Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. Good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, later today, the Prime Minister is expected to set out formally the plans for ending almost all the virus restrictions in England. Well, the vaccines minister says government guidance will say people should continue to wear face masks in crowded areas in England after the restrictions end, even though the legal requirement to do so is due to end on the 19th of July. Nadim Zahawi says people must be vigilant. Well, it's a change of tone from last week when Boris Johnson told the news conference that mask wearing would be a personal choice. Well, joining us now is Simon Hoare, Conservative MP for North Dorset. Uh, Simon, thanks for being with us. Welcome to the programme. First personal question, I suppose. Will you be giving up your mask? No. What will you be, on what occasions will you be wearing it? I shall be wearing it for, uh, in precisely the same way that I have been wearing it for the last... um, well, several months. If I'm um, inside in a in a shop or an office or visiting somebody, I shall I shall wear a mask. I think that's my exercising of you know responsibility. Okay, but from what I hear, then we should be wearing a mask. Um, it's preferable to wear a mask in crowded places. The scientists seem to be saying that. Many in the Tory party agree. So what's the point of dropping the legal requirement? Just puts uh, people who want to wear a mask in an awkward position. Yes, I'm not sure. I would have been very happy to continue to support uh, any regulations um, that were deemed to be required. Um, I, I would have had no, no compunction in, in, in voting for those. So is dropping the, res- the, the, just to get it absolutely clear, is dropping the regulation on masks actually then a, a negative move? Well, I think, I think it has to be a suck it in sea. I mean, you know, the government is in a very difficult place. Going into these things is, is actually the, the easiest part. Close things down, stop things happening, do this, do that. Um, You then have to wean yourself through a process, through incremental steps. But I think what the public needs to know is two things. First of all, that a very keen and weather eye is being kept upon the data. And if the data moves in such a way, um, all um, health service providers start to ring the alarm bells and say, we're we're in difficult waters here, etc., then there is the political will and commitment to go back and to uh, and to make things mandatory, but as I say, it is a difficult choice. You have to begin the journey somehow and at some time. 
certainly the scientists seem to be saying, you know, now is as good a time as any. So we'll have to give it a go. But I think the, I think the public needs to understand, certainly this is my understanding of, 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 of some of the stuff which the Prime Minister may be saying this afternoon, is um, this is all about trust now and personal responsibility and just being careful and not being selfish and thinking about your neighbour and thinking about the vulnerable and people on the bus with you or the train, etc. If that doesn't manifest itself, and we see people behaving in a particularly foolish and stupid way, do not be at all surprised if the mandatory approach has to be resurrected. So this is, this is an element of, of, I suppose, mutual trust and interdependency, and that's no bad thing. It's worth trying. Well, uh, it's worth trying. Is it surely not kind of quite daft in some ways after 16 months of a pandemic? I mean, the simplest thing would be to keep masks on. And as you point out, many people are concerned about simply a return of these regulations in winter. I mean, rather than kind of ditching... Um, you know, even the kind of most basic precautions, why not keep those in? Surely this is the wrong move by the government. Well, I, I, I think, I mean, I can understand why you ask that. And I think, I think in part that sort of slightly uh, sits behind the misplaced language I thought about, sort of Freedom Day or Liberation Day. Mm. I, I, there was never going to be a day. There was never going to be a sort of, you know, the alarm bell would go off and you'd suddenly go, well, you know, the alarm clock would go off. And you suddenly go, yippee, every, you know, everything is pointing in the right direction, everything's fine and dandy. But there would be a day when you could start to relax and to trial and to experiment. But if there are colleagues who are saying, well, look, once you've embarked upon that process of relaxation and experiment and trial, it is irreversible, irrespective of what the data is saying, then I think that's for the birds. Um, I mean, I think people would just throw up their hands in horror. We have had hitherto, and I think this has been broadly supported, um, with the exception of some of the more, you know, libertarian voices off. Uh, but we have had a had an approach which has been very data centric and NHS protecting, and I think the country is broadly behind that, and would have no um, particular alarm were that needed to be resurrected. Now let's just pray that the trials uh, work, that this process does become irreversible because people are demonstrating manifest responsibility, they are being uh, careful, um, and they are being responsible. Let, let me move you on, if I may, uh, Simon, to what uh, is clearly you know something I know you're very concerned about you're chair of the northern ireland committee we are in the middle or beginning i suppose i should say of the marching season of a very difficult moment potentially in northern ireland at a time of extra high tension because of what's been happening with the trading issue post brexit issues uh, and turmoil inside the dup are you concerned what this particular marching season may bring well um I think it, it, it looks to be, uh, I mean, from, from what I've seen, then the, the orange orders have, uh, certainly on paper, appear to have been incredibly uh, responsible, uh, smaller uh, COVID regulation complying uh, marches rather than fewer, larger uh, marches. I think that's a, a very good approach and that's to be uh, applauded. It's always a difficult time this time of year in Northern Ireland. You're right to point to there are there are other things which 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 go into the mix. 
But um, it certainly looks as if um, last evening, i.e. the 11th, sort of the, um, which can often be a bit of a kick-off moment, um, looks certainly on what I've heard and seen to have passed off without without major incident, and that's to be uh, applauded. But yes, it, it's always it's always a tricky time, and it's always a sensitive time. The Northern Ireland Fire and Rescue Service say they've dealt with a significant increase in emergency calls to bonfire-related incidents, uh, 230 of them, as you say, the night before these marches. Um, is that not a worrying indicator, a sign of, of the tensions? Well, I think, I mean, I do think some of these bonfires have become overly large. I mean, you know, some of them almost look as if they require uh, planning permission. They've become so um, so high. Now, whether that has played into um, uh, more call-outs, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But certainly the, the reports I've seen um, sort of overnight and this morning um, uh, don't, don't suggest... Um, that there is particular cause for panic or alarm, that the vast majority of people appear to be behaving incredibly uh, sensibly. And as I say, that's to be both encouraged and and applauded. The professionalism of the Northern Ireland Fire Service and the PSNI uh, is, of course, um, absolutely, um, you know, uh, stretched uh, in in July. Um, but it all but it always has been, and they are uh, magnificent public servants who rise. Uh, tremendously well to the occasion to keep uh, to keep people safe and uh, and again I sort of salute them for their diligence. But but to, to put it bluntly, Simon, they might not need to be in this position or as difficult a position, were it not for what it seems to many people the uh, ways in which the government has handled the whole post-Brexit issue with regard to Northern Ireland, the uncertainty over the protocol, the grace period that we know is coming to an end, I think in October, and the uncertainty that surrounds that just adds to the tensions which causes the problems that these people have to deal with. Well, um, I mean, I'm tempted to say yes and no. Um, I mean, uh, yes, it, it, it has been another. The, the, pro, the protocol uh, is, is another is, is another issue of you know, and I'll downplay it. It's another issue of debate. Um, but I, I would it would take a lot to convince me that you know um, uh, every other 11th and 12th of July has 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 always been absolutely hunky dory. It's all just got a bit tense because of the protocol. It's always been a tense period um, with regards to community relations, uh, how you police the interface, um, how how you deal with those relations uh, um, afterwards. What is put on the bonfires? You know, what is the point of burning the posters and effigies of your political opponents and other national flags and the like? Um, mm. That I think is to be regretted and. Um, that that has been called out by by quite a lot of unionists over this weekend, and I think again that that's an encouraging sign as well. But yeah, the protocol yeah. has added to it, um, but I don't think it's added to it to to an extent where you'd say, "Gosh, you know, that is the sole reason for any issues." Simon, away from Northern Ireland, have to have a word about uh, the England team. Seems to many that this team has exemplified diversity, social concern, uh, as well as just the brilliant football. And then this tweet landed from Natalie Elphick, suggesting that Marcus, Marcus Rashford might have played better if he hadn't spent so much time on politics. What's your response? Um, there's absolutely no excuse for that. Um, I, I saw it. Um, I thought it was upsetting. I thought it was unnecessary. I thought it was vile. I thought it was baseless. We as politicians 
um, will always say to the electorate, look, we can walk and chew gum. You know, we can do more than one thing at a time. I think Mr Rashford has uh, represented his country brilliantly on the football pitch, but more importantly has shone a forensic light on uh, poverty in some of our communities uh, and the need for greater engagement when it comes to issues like food for meals and other types of support. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And a lot of focus, Caroline, on the racist abuse of England footballers after that game last night. Absolutely. Prince William condemning that abuse on social media, calling it abhorrent and also uh, asking for those responsible to be held accountable. His remarks come after the police announced that they are investigating a number of those posts sent to players after last night's Euro 2020 final defeat. The manager, Gareth Southgate, says that his team do not deserve to be on the receiving end of offensive messages. For some of them to be abused is unforgivable, really. We, I think, have been a, a beacon of light in bringing people together, in people being able to relate to the national team. And the national team stands for everybody. So, Gareth Southgate, they're sounding pretty disappointed. Boris Johnson also tweeted on this that the Euro 2020 squad deserved to be lauded as heroes, not racially abused. Roger, some of them are just 19 years old. Extraordinary. Under huge, huge pressure and uh, did a tremendous job. Now, let's talk about a study by the Resolution Foundation, which has shown Britain's household wealth surged by £900 billion during the pandemic. But much of that went to the richest people. Typical families in Britain are £7,800 better off now than before the pandemic. The richest 10% of families enjoyed the biggest absolute wealth increase, more than £50,000 each. But the poorest 30% of adults are just £86 better off. Mm, Yeah, not good news, I think, for the government trying to deal with uh, inequalities in the UK. Well, speaking of which, billionaire Richard Branson and Virgin Galactic have successfully completed a long-awaited test flight to the edge of space. Branson and five company employees experienced a few minutes of weightlessness as the space plane VSS Unity reached peak altitude of about 85 kilometres above Earth. The journey kicks off a landmark month for space tourism with Amazon founder Jeff Bezos also set to fly on a rocket made from his uh, by his company Blue Origin. Well, just sometimes I think we don't celebrate British business people enough. I mean, this is quite massively groundbreaking from Branson. Even though there's a, there's a debate about whether he actually got 
to space or not. Yes, it's whether it passes a certain line or not seems to be in question. But I suppose, again, people might say it costs an awful lot of money. Mm. And what is it for, really, other than perhaps showing off or, um, I suppose, trying to encourage a new sort of tourism? But you have to pay a quarter of a million a shot for a ticket, so it's not for all of us. But let's talk about the space shot that has been uh, the Prime Minister's attempt to deal with uh, the virus, or at least he called it that at one stage. He's now set to make the formal announcement of the end of the restrictions on July the 19th, most of the restrictions. But there are increasing voices, counselling caution amongst scientists, signs also from opinion polls that the public here in Britain is uneasy about a lot of this. Joining us now is Sam Fazelli, Senior Pharmaceuticals Analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence and Director of Research for EMEA. Sam, thanks so much for being with us. Um, is this the right moment to end all the main restrictions? Hi, Roger. Um, I mean, do you, I'm not convinced that there ever will be a right moment. We could, of course, wait for, you know, the UK is currently at 52% of the population. Remember, the UK reports vaccine uh, success based on adults above 18. But here, 52% based on Bloomberg vaccine tracker of the population fully vaccinated. That is the best across the, the, the European continent. I, I think if you look at the, across the EU, you'll find around the 40% to 45% range. So you have to then consider, okay, well, that means there's lots of children and then there's the adolescents. What percentage can we get to realistically uh, in time to be able to, to open? What is the number we need? And, and of course, you're not going to get everyone to get their vaccine. I think we might already be pretty close to that number, especially if the UK accelerates the dosing of vaccine, you know, shortens the interval to four weeks uh, for the 18 to 29s that are left still to get their doses. So I, my thinking is you've got this, you've got the summer where people are outdoors more. Maybe this is the right time to do it. If you left it till the winter, you might end up fighting that other battle. So probably it's as good a time as any. Yeah, um, it is fascinating, isn't it, that the UK is kind of conducting this experiment. It, it's kind of in the same sense as community policing. We're sort of community enforcing um, things now when it comes to the virus. What do you think then of the evidence on face masks? Yeah, just, just Caroline, just on that point, before I say anything on the mm. face mask, we're not alone in conducting this experiment. Mm. Holland is doing it and their case count... Um, rising even steeper than the UK mm. and Spain is not necessarily changing very much but their case counts also rising they're only just a little bit behind the UK of course they didn't have football uh, competitions and, and 60,000, 70,000 people all together and um, I don't think that the mask mandate has necessarily been removed in Spain as it has been in, in Holland and may, may happen in the UK I think the masks, to your question, are critical in reminding people that we're still in a pandemic. I think it's crazy to remove every um, rule that's out there. I think it, 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 there should be some limit still on indoor gatherings, but certainly people wearing masks in indoor spaces where air exchange is a lot lower and the probability of you or someone else breathing my exhaled air and viruses potentially is higher. We should keep the masks. 
What about the notion of what's going to happen going into the winter? We have the prospect of a, a bad flu season, apart from anything else. We didn't really have one last year. It, it, from what I hear, suggestions are there could be a bad one this year. Plus, of course, the potential for a resurgence in the conditions of winter. And yet some scientists questioning the value of third vaccine boosters when we still have so many people, both in this country and other countries, who don't even have their first one. What do you think? Yeah, that's a very, very difficult subject, uh, Roger. Um, I mean, it would be amazing if we have lifted all restrictions, including masks. If you keep the masks, you might be able to keep other infections under control too. But it'd be amazing if we don't get a significant resurgence in flu. Because simply from year to year, you get about a 10% exposure of people who have lost immunity to, to any form of flu. And now this year, we haven't had the training from last year, if you like, in terms of a, 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 a wave of flu. So we're even more vulnerable. Um, you add that, you get respiratory syncytial virus into that equation. Nobody talks about that one. That's a pretty bad one, too. Um, and it doesn't look like it's going to be, it would not be a nice winter. If we kept the mass, it would help. Um, and then, of course, if you think about boosters, you, people are going to have to go in for their flu shots. I think that's absolutely important that we do because that helps. And then if the rest of the world was not suffering as much as we are, it, 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 uh, as it is, if there was a way of getting them doses, unless we have a major uh, problem with hospitalizations, then I think those boosters should, by rights, go to countries that need to actually do their first doses in the first place. Um, but I'm not sure that home politics will allow that to happen. No, that that um, is going to be a very tricky question, isn't it? Um, well, I suppose then uh, what happens in terms of, you know, restrictions and lockdowns come winter? That's the other question about whether we would ever end up going back to further lockdowns yes so caroline one of the nice things that i that i one of the things that i was happy to not hear again when the update was given on the 12th and let's see what is um sorry that's today last week um was the fact that the idea of an irreversible move was taken off the table you can't do that when you have no idea where the virus is going to go you can't do that when you don't know what the pressure on your nhs will be with regards to uh, all the infections we just talked about. So I think they did the right thing, keeping that door open. What about the prospects of further variations? Because one of the things, again, said is if we allow uh, a large number of people to get uh, the current variant, the Delta variant that's out there, and that does seem to be, if not government policy, at least perhaps the likely outcome of the loosening of restrictions, the prospects of that mutating into other more dangerous variations is increased. Is that true? Um, whether it will go necessarily in the direction of more dangerous is, is one thing. It will probably find a few more mutations that will help it break that antibody shield that vaccines give you. Um, probably. This is a random process. We know the virus already evolved responding to people's basic infection or a natural infection. So it's likely that it will gather some mutations. Will it make it a worse virus? Nobody knows. I'm not convinced that we are absolutely sure that we have a worse virus currently on our hands. Just that one that is able to pierce that antibody shield better than the original versions. Just briefly, the nations and regions have gone their own direction. I mean, is that sensible? Should Scotland and Wales just be following England or not? Or is that a London-centric view? 
Uh, well, I mean, at the end of the day, the nations need to show some independence because that's what they believe is their right. But frankly, unless they close the borders, I can't see any of it having any real value in terms of preventing um, the spread of variants or anything like that. But if Scotland and Wales uh, continue to have a very strong mask mandate and the UK does and and England doesn't, I take my hat off to them. That's what England should continue to do. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.